a very high and holy honor to I I I heard uh, Mark Rutland don't know if you know who he is but he he referred to this as the sacred desk and so I'm always in the fear of the Lord when I stand in someone's pulpit to share that we share the character and the nature of Jesus so thank you to everyone who's hosted us for the basket for the hotel for the kindness um, We're very, 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 very grateful. Thank you. I have a scripture for you before we get started. Um, I felt it last night. I mentioned it last night. But when you just said we're raising the roof, back in the day, I used to be a rapper. And um, I actually wrote a worship song called Raise the Roof. Um, it was fun. Raise the roof. Come on, just say it. Come on. The roof. Come on, just a little bit louder. Shout. Raise. Come on. The roof. Yeah, just do that. Come on. Come on. The roof. Come on. Yeah, yeah. One more time, just for fun. Get your hands up, raise. What? What? The roof. Come on. Yeah. I thought of that when you said that. I was like, man, I need to look that song up because it was fun. Yeah. You know, that was back in the day. You know what I'm saying? I did start off as a rapper. And my rap name, as I said last night, was LJ Love. So my wife still calls me J-Love. People close to me call me J-Love, you know, but. <laughs> I'm just drunk because we already had the first service and then we did worship again. So I'm just going to tell y'all like a T.I. is, okay? <laughs> but I have this scripture and, I, hey, and when you said it, I was like, I need to read it. And I and I I, I feel hey it's just such an in, incredible spirit of faith. You carry such an incredible gift of faith. Like it's one of the it's, it's a gift of faith. Like Mike, I'm so inspired. You know. Hey, so Zechariah chapter two is what I feel is strategic for you in this moment. I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, or in this case, we could say, To measure Corpus Christi. To see what is the breadth uh, thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said, Run unto him, run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem, or shall we say, Corpus Christi, shall be inhabited as a town, as towns without walls. Come on, somebody. Come on now, come on, talk to me now, come on. For the multitude of men and cattle therein, and this is what the Lord says to you, and I want to speak this to you as the church, to get behind this vision. For I, says the Lord, will be unto her 
or unto Rock City, a wall of fire around her and the glory in the midst of her. He was, he sent a messenger. Hi, <laughs> I'm the messenger this morning. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, he, I want to encourage you. Like, there's no fear in love. Go for it. Go for it. There's angels with measuring lines measuring this city, enlarging your capacity, raising the roof. And he says, don't be afraid. He's got this. He'll be a wall of fire around you and the glory within you. Come on. Okay. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. And while we're turning there, I want to read you a few scriptures. Hmm. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, as they're turning to Zechariah 4. I quoted this scripture in the first service if you were here. But I want to set a foundation for where we might be possibly going. It says this, but you, I love the language. Who is he talking to? He's talking to you. But you are. It's a settled issue. A chosen generation. My gosh. A royal priesthood. I'd like to stop there and establish that the Bible tells us that he has made unto us kings and priests. So look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're looking at a king. You're looking at a priest. You are a double portion generation. My God in heaven. <sighs> you are a royal priesthood, a king and a priest. You're chosen. This morning, I think what I'm going to do, just so I can set the foundation, is I'm going to lay a foundation, then we'll excuse the children, and then we're going to do keep going. For those of you who want to keep going, okay? I only know one way, and that's all the way. <laughs> so I want to give you everything that we can, because I promised you an adoption service this morning. But see, adoption means to take by choice. In every adoption, there is an initiator of the adoption. We have adopted two children. So in our case, we were the initiator of the adoption. Okay? And then there is the adoptee, the one who is being adopted. But it means, naturally speaking, adoption means to take by choice. Now, biblically speaking, it's both and more. It means that you're, you're chosen, okay? But it also speaks of spiritual maturity, okay? But 
here we see it displayed. You are a chosen generation. God has been initiating you before there was creation. He's always been the initiator. It was, you know, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It was God who created creation. It was God who created the Garden of Eden. It was God who fashioned and formed man. It was God that put his mouth on Adam and breathed life into him. It was God, even when Adam sinned, that came into the garden. Mind you, Adam was hiding in the garden. God still came. Come on, somebody. He's always been the initiator. So your chosen generation a royal priesthood, this is your birthright, okay? Now, hey, because Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Check it out. It says, as long as the heir, notice this person is an heir. So he's in the family, okay? As long as the heir stays a child, this word is nepios, and it means immature son. It says, as long as the heir is a child, immature, he differs nothing than a slave, though he's Lord of all. So it's like, you know, there's all these different theologies and teachings and and, and there's an element of truth in them all, you know, the finished work of the cross, and then people don't believe in the finished work. Of, no, no, you, you have been given all things, but it doesn't belong to you at any given moment. The secret things belong to the Lord. Once they're revealed, unveiled, they belong to you. Revelation makes it tangible for you, yeah? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings. Who's a king? Who's a king? All right. It's the glory of kings to search it out. That's what we're going to do this morning. King and a priest. King and a priest. This is your birthright. You know, I don't mean to sound crass or anything like that, but us just coming to church... That doesn't make us a threat to the enemy. I mean, it's awesome. This is where we need to be, okay? Going to a conference, going to church, even you accepting Jesus, you know, becoming saved, being born again. It's not like Satan and God have this contest going on. Well, I got five today. Whoa, you, you, you. No, no, no. See, you're no threat to the enemy even getting saved. Because as long as you're a child, you differ nothing than a slave. Though you're Lord of everything. But when you step into your identity, I just don't, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. I just about to tell you, you know what I'm saying? I have gone ghetto. I'm trying to, like, you know, impress the pastors here, you know. I'm joking, I'm joking. When you step into your birthright, see, the enemy's always been after the birthright. And we're going to get into all that at the second half. 
Okay? Okay? All right, but Zechariah chapter 4, Zechariah chapter 4 is a fantastic piece of Scripture. In a time when Zerubbabel was rebuilding the temple, he's coming up against much persecution, and God opens a door. Zechariah steps into this fantastic vision. He sees two olive trees. Now, these olive trees, man, they are ancient trees, thousands of years old, deep, thick roots. And from within these olive trees, from inside, they are producing golden, fresh oil. And the picture that he sees is these trees have golden oil, and it's very specific to say that it's coming from within the trees, and it's dripping into a golden lampstand. So the golden oil drips into the golden bowl that feeds the golden pipe, that feeds the golden lampstand. And Zachariah's like, what are these trees? And God says, don't you know? And Zechariah says, what? What are these trees that drip the golden oil into the golden bowl, into the golden pipe, into the golden lampstand? And God says, tell Zerubbabel, it's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. How are we going to enlarge Rock City? It's not by my time. It's not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. And Zechariah, he's still in wonder. He's still in marvel. He's... What are these two olive trees that drip the golden oil into the golden bowl? And I mean, I'm, I'm quoting it. It says it over and over and over and over. Shakaraba. <sighs> God says, these are the two sons of fresh oil that feed the church that stand before the God of the universe. See, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. These, these sons of oil, sons of fresh oil standing before God, Revelations coming. They're, they're, they're producing the substance of heaven and they're feeding the lampstand of the church. The lampstand always speaks of your outer ministry. The oil came from, from the secret place. It's an inside-out, upside-down kingdom. <laughs> the way out is in and the way up is down. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want to find life, you have to lose it. Male deals to sell. Deals meal. 
Dios mío. Shakababa. Means the same thing. Sons of Freshshore. Now, further study. When you step in, okay, these olive trees. Two sons of fresh oil. Two sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first tree represented Zerubbabel, which speaks of government. He was also in line for the throne. King. The second olive tree, the second son of oil, was Joshua, the priest. King, priest, double portion generation. Sons and daughters of fresh oil producing the atmosphere of heaven, feeding the lampstand of the church. Who wants to be a son of oil? A king, a priest, standing before the God of the universe. Shakaraba. Ah. That's what it looks like. Sons, daughters, walking in intimate friendship with God, manifesting or producing or carrying the atmosphere of heaven. Hallelujah. I want to read you some scriptures here. Everybody with me? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in, I want you to see this, in heavenly places. Where? Turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, I'm doing this on purpose. Where is it? In heavenly places. Places. In heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us, there's that word, chosen, us in him before the foundation of the world, my God, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according, I love this, this is just really cool, according to the good pleasure. My friends, it's his good pleasure to touch you this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, 
wherewith he loved us. <laughs> Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Here it is. Check this out. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Where were those sons of oil? Standing before the God of the universe. Come on. We're going on a journey this morning. Show. Sure. Uh, sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. My God. For by grace you are saved in faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. I talked to you about this last night. The word's poema. It means poetry. We are his poetry. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained us, that we should walk in them. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, for favor. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Ah. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Here it is, verse 18. This is what's going to happen this morning. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Ha! That you may know what is the hope of his calling. How are we going to know the hope of his calling? When our eyes are enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory in his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Raise the roof. Increase our capacity. Come on. Far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that one which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the church. Come on, somebody. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Shekaraba Sunday. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all. Look at the language. We. <laughs> Who is he talking to? All. Who's included in this promise? Yeah. With un. Veiled face. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, this morning, neighbor, the mask is coming off. 
Turn your neighbor and say, this morning, the veil is coming off. Because the eyes of our understanding are going to be enlightened. This, Romans 8 also tells us, we're going to read this later, creation is groaning. For the sons of God to be unveiled. This morning, <laughs> the mask is coming off. The broken lenses are coming off. The perverted lens is coming off. You know, if you have a pair of glasses and they're broken, you have a perverted view. Creation is groaning. See, the word son here is the word weos, and it means mature son. Not just any son. Creation is groaning for the mature sons to be unveiled. And how are we going to know the hope of our calling when our eyes are in I'll give you an example. I love this church. My God in heaven. Sirius. Sirio. I'm sorry, that's Portuguese. Um, I leave for Brazil on Wednesday, so I, my brain. This is a generational church. This is a family church. Second Kings chapter two, verse nine through fifteen. You can make reference, and then Second Kings chapter six, verse thirteen through. 18. We're going to go deep. Is that all right? Okay. Here in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, we have three generations present. We have Elijah. We have Elisha. And then we have a third generation, the sons of the prophets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Elisha is driving Elijah crazy. And the pastor said, amen. <laughs> what do you want? It's a spiritual principle there. I learned this. You see someone carrying the ark, you go after it. You don't wait for permission. You see the move of God. You go get it. That's what Elisha did. Elisha saw Elijah was carrying something and he wanted it. So Elijah says, what do you want? And Elisha said, I want a double portion. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. And I like to pause here and because I believe the word of the day is maturity. People are, and listen, I, I love conferences. I do conferences. I, I, I'm not being negative at all. I just want to bring out something that I think 
is very important so that we can step into a deeper realm of maturity. You know? People run to conferences, run to schools, run to waiting for another prophetic word and another prophetic word and someone to lay hands on them and give them a mantle. I believe in the laying on of hands. I believe in fathering people. People come to me now. They're like, will you be my father? And I say, well, I don't know you. That level of relationship takes time. But hey, let's see what God has for us. But I think we need to be very careful. People run to Heidi. They want her to lay hands on them. And she does. And when she does, she releases a mantle. She releases an open door. She releases an impartation for you to step in. It's given to you, but you have to step into it. Because I'm going to tell you, I've been with Heidi. One of her daughters died. I was with them digging the grave. I mean, I've dug graves with her. Or whoever, you know, whoever you look to, the pastors, you don't know what they've walked. They have the anointing they do because they've walked a road and a journey that's produced that oil. Elijah said, hey, you want a double portion of what I got? You've asked a hard thing. You actually don't know what you're asking for. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what you're asking for. But Elijah said, if you see me, the mask is coming off this morning. If you see me when I go, then you can have the mantle. So what happens? Elisha keeps his eyes on him. Yeah, I'm waiting. Yeah, he's a, yeah. Elijah goes up, and he sees horses and chariots of fire. So if any of y'all got freaked out about my song last night, I feel the gallop of the horses. It's because they're here, okay? You just can't see them yet, but they here. I heard them. <laughs> but he sees horses. He says, Master, horses and chariots of fire. The mantle falls. Bam. And he gets a double portion. Then we have... Second Kings chapter 6, 13 through 18. So Elijah passes his double portion to Elisha. Elisha's eyes open to heavenly places. Where are we seated? What is our birthright? That's the double portion, my friends. We can live from here, or we can live from here. See, you see it very clearly in 2 Kings chapter 6. Two individuals, two different mindsets, two different perceptions. Elisha and his servant. We're not sure which servant it is, but it's one of the sons of the prophets. We do know this, a third generation. So, my friend, what if every generation gets a double portion of the former generation? And God's multiplication 
see it's available, you have to go for it. The door is open, but you get double of the 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 double. Whoo, Shakabama. If every generation passes to the next generation, and then that generation passes a double of the double that they got to the next generation, that's how family works, baby. My son already knows he's a double portion son. My God, does he. And my daughter. It's all about position and proximity. I go to the grocery store. Gina's in the kitchen, and I'm like, hey, my love, I'm going to go up to Kroger and yada, yada, yada. And my daughter goes, Daddy, I'll go with you. I'm like, okay, baby. Yeah, I'll help you. I'm like, yeah. So we get out. We're walking in um, our grocery store. We have Food Lion. We have Kroger. We have Publix, whatever. But our, our Kroger, as soon as you walk in, it has a Starbucks. So, you know, we're walking in. My baby girl goes, Daddy, can I have a Starbucks? And, of course, I say, yes, my love. What kind of Starbucks do you want? Oh, well, yada, yada, yada. So we get the Starbucks, and then she's helping me, and then she goes, Daddy, I'm just going to go to the makeup aisle. Is that okay? <laughs> See, it's about proximity. You stay close to the Father. You stay close to the Father. Oh, yeah, baby, whatever you want. Oh, yeah. Now, mind you, on the way in, I'm like, sweetheart, no. Mommy said we can't buy anything. I'm joking. But, you know, so don't ask me. Don't put me in that position. But see, a double portion son, double portion daughter, they keep their eyes on the papa. They keep their eyes wide open. Now, here, here's what I want to bring out. What God has shown me strategically in these days, because of uh, places I've had the privilege of going, and some of the things that I've seen, creation is groaning for mature sons, that are living from heavenly places. See, if, I, if, if I'm down here, I've only got one view of you. But when I come up here, I have a whole nother picture of the story. Revelation chapter 4 is a great picture of this. Here's, here's John on the Isle of Patmos. He's in chains. We've dramatized this scripture, and I mean, I have. I've written songs about it, you know. Uh, Revelation 4, the 24 elders, four living creatures, the whole thing. I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. But we have to understand, he was in prison. He's seen his, his friends martyred, murdered for the gospel. He's seen the march of the Caesars. I mean, imagine his walk with Jesus, you know. And then a door opens, and God says, come up here. Come see a higher perspective of the unfolding of the story. So, see, we have Elijah, I mean, Elisha, pardon me, 
and his servant and armies coming against them, but they both have a different perspective. With everything happening in the world, the church, we need to be those sons of oil standing before God, those mature sons living from heavenly places, having the right mindset, not just reacting to here. See, this is a single portion son. This is a double portion son. So, Elisha and his servant, the army's coming, and the servant's like flipping out. Master, they're coming to arrest us. They're coming to kill us, you know. And here is a double portion. Puts his hand on his servant and says, Father, open his eyes that our eyes would be enlightened, that the mask would come off. Yeah? We with unveiled face as beholding in the glass are changed from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. It never ends. Yeah, yeah. Standing before God. So he says, Father, open his eyes that he can see. So this servant just got a double portion of the double portion. In God's multiplication, that's how it works. So his eyes open and he goes, Master, sees the same thing. Horses and chariots of fire. Now, this is fantastic. Living, I've been telling Gina, like we've been having this, this, these conversations. I'm like, I'm living from holy. I'm living from heavenly places. I'm not of this world. Yeah, yeah. We're living from that place. So like when they hit me with, with cancer, I wasn't single portion. Thank God I've, I've spent the last four or five years renewing my mind, changing my, that is the true meaning of repent. It means change your mindset. It doesn't just mean ask for forgiveness of your sin. That's a part of it. But change your spiritual lens. Yeah, yeah. Change the way you look at things. Change the way you, your mindset change. Metanoia, renewing of the mind. And we have to be mature sons. Because creation is longing for us. Now, see, God doesn't need us. I was told that growing up. God needs you. You know, we have great songs about that. But it's actually not true. He, he doesn't need us. He's omnipotent. If he needed anything, he, he wouldn't be God. But the greater picture is, my friends, that he desires you. And he desires to co-labor he has given us this authority. He has made us kings and priests. And we're going to get into that in part two. Thank you very much. Okay, everybody. Are we ready? So let's step back into the story of Elijah and Elisha. I've really sought the Lord about this because of our heart for the spirit of adoption and, and, and what that looks like and, and what that sounds like. Now, I believe 
when Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion, if we step into the culture and we step into the context of the mindset, Elijah had no history. He had no lineage. I believe that Elisha was asking Elijah for Elijah's birthright. You see, in the Jewish mindset, the firstborn son would receive the birthright. He would become, in essence, he would be given delegated authority over the family, so he became the king. He would also become the priest of the family. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a king and a priest. And he would also receive a double portion. Yeah? So I believe when we step into the culture that actually what Elisha was asking for, the birthright. We're back to the birthright. Let's step into creation. God created everything you see. He said, let there be light, okay? But he didn't create the sun and moon until the fourth day. What was he saying? He was saying, let the knowledge of myself, let the glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He's always wanted his glory displayed in the earth. He's always, that's why Habakkuk 2.14, that the knowledge of the glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Then, we spoke about it last night, he created man. He put his mouth on Adam. And Adam, hear me now, became the firstborn son. He carried the birthright. This did not start with the tabernacle. It actually, I mean, we could get into it, but it started even way before creation. Yeah. We won't even go there. But, but Adam was the first born son created in the image and likeness of God. He breathed life into man, and the Bible says that man became a living soul. So, he became a king. How do I know that? Because God gave him authority. Creativity went into Adam. He comes to Adam, and he says, hey, Adam, I haven't named the animals yet, son. You name the animals. And when you study this and you step into this from, from the most rigid to the most charismatic, they all agree that when Adam called a lion a lion, it took on the nature and characteristics of a lion. Call those things that be not as though they were. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. He was a king. He was a priest. The Bible tells us every day at the cool of the day that he had communion with God. He had intimacy with God. He was a priest. Come on, somebody. He was walking in a realm of glory. 
then what a horrible day, like a horrific divorce. Adam and Eve sinned. And that glory, that double portion, living in that heavenly atmosphere, man sinned. And and instead of God conscious, here's the thing, instead of God conscious, they became self-conscious. Is everybody with me? They became self-conscious. They became single portion. Because they fell from glory. All through the Old Testament, we're going to get into this just a little bit. Because I know it's late and I do want to respect your time. But we could go for hours on this. But, but here's the thing. Is all through the Old Testament, the firstborn son always forfeited his birthright for a moment of lust. This firstborn son, because they sinned, then they went and hid themselves. And they made the first veil. Here we go. They took fig leaves and they covered their shame. But God still came. Now, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He comes to the garden, and he's like, Adam, where are you? Do you think that God really didn't know where Adam was? God doesn't ask you a question because he doesn't know the answer. He actually wants you to understand what he's asking you. And Adam said, we knew we were naked, and we hid ourselves. And God said, I love this. Who told you? You're naked. I want to pose just a few questions for you, my friends. Who told you you're not good enough? Who told you you're dirty? Who told you just because your grandfather was an alcoholic or your mother was an alcoholic that you're going to be an alcoholic? Who told you that because addiction runs in your family, now you're going to have to deal with it? Who told you that you have anxiety? Who told you that you have depression? Who told you all these things? I I mean, God is echoing through eternity. He's like, who told you this? You know, no wonder Jesus cursed the fig tree. (laughs) Think about it. They took fig leaves and they made the first veil that our eyes would open. No, no, see, but God's glory... Still intense, still jealous, still wanting. So God began to visit prophets and poets, and he said, build me a tabernacle. I I want to dwell in the middle of my people. And he gave them all the architecture, and he gave them all the, you know, every facet, every color, every, you know, every dimension. Like he, he laid it out perfectly. Why? Because he wanted to dwell with us. I told you last night, even, but there was still the veil. Man's veiled now. Not in heavenly places. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? <clears throat> Say, not in heavenly, not, not, not walking in the glory, not walking in the atmosphere of heaven. That's our birthright. <clears throat> and they said, the veil 
literally would inhale and exhale like a man's chest because the glory wanting to be released in the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, this is a whole other topic, and maybe one day this is one of the schools we could do. But when we talk about the key of David, because then you got this little lover named David who designed a tabernacle with no veil. Now, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> key of David. Many tabernacles all had veils, except for David's. And then we have John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, tabernacled. Now Jesus became the tabernacle. His skin was the veil. He was the second born, but scripturally, he became the firstborn. Let's look at this just really quick. For those of you who are really into to the Bible, how many people in here love the word? <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> All through the Old Testament, you see this. The firstborn son forfeited his birthright, and the birthright coming on the secondborn. So if you look at Cain and Abel, it came on Abel, not Cain. It came on Isaac, not Ishmael. It came on Hagar, not Sarah. It came on Esau, not Jacob. It came on Rachel over Leah. It came on Ephraim instead of Manasseh. It came on Judah instead of Reuben. Perez over Zerah. Come on. The firstborn son, this is all types and shadows. Adam forfeited his birthright. But Jesus was the second born. But the Bible says he became the firstborn. Now, <laughs> Malachi chapter 6, and people prophesy this, and people pray into it, and, and I, once again, I mean no disrespect, because everybody has different uh, revelations, okay? But everyone's praying, Father, would you turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father? This is going to be the sign of revival. My friends, that already happened. When the heavens opened over Jesus, and John the Baptist baptized him. That scripture says that the spirit of Elijah is going to come and turn the heart of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father. That happened the day that John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah, baptized Jesus and the heavens opened. The heavens opened and the Bible says that John said, the one that sent me told me that the one that my presence, here it goes, my presence, my glory comes on and remains. He got the birthright. Because the Bible says a presence came on Jesus that remained. 
Because Jesus' followers said, you, they say that, you know, spirit of Elijah, that Elijah's going to come. And Jesus looked at them and said, he was here and you didn't recognize him. It was John the Baptist. Come on, somebody. I'm letting you know. Why am I saying all this? I'm telling you that this is available to the church. I'm telling you that when you step into your birthright, who God's called you to be, listen, we build our whole ministry. This is the four pillars of what we do. Intimacy, identity, holiness, justice. If you follow the life of Jesus, he walked in such intimacy with the Father. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then Jesus had the moment when the heavens opened over him, the presence of God came that remained, and God said, this is my son. Now, wasn't he already a son? But Jesus had a moment where the heavens opened and God declared, this is my son. That's when he became, he redeemed, he became the firstborn. See, that's what's important. In natural order, he wasn't. He was the second. But all through the Old Testament, it was showing us there's somebody coming that's going to get our birthright. Because the Bible says he became the firstborn of many brethren. Are you getting this? Are you with me? He, for him to become something, that means he wasn't. He became the firstborn of many brethren. So that identity, then it says he was led by the spirit to be tempted of the devil. My God in heaven. I don't know what y'all want to do with that one, but that's what the Bible has said. So, and he went into the desert, and the Bible says that he was tempted, but he did not sin. So, holiness. Intimacy will bring revelation of your identity. Your identity will give you the ability to walk holy. And then it says he came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. That's where his ministry, his public ministry started. Justice, intimacy, identity, holiness, and justice. Hallelujah. So, this is what's available. <laughs> now, I'm going to go fast. <clears throat> Because I really want the leaders to be able to hear the adoption. My wife and I, as I told you, we've adopted two children. We had to actually go to school to adopt. Like we, we had to go to 10 weeks of school. So we learned what an orphan is. An orphan is one is, is one whom one or both parents have passed away or, un, or, or are unable to take care of them, okay? Then you have the initiator of the adoption, which I told you is the one 
who chooses. We're the blessed ones, but there was the day where my wife and I had to choose. Are we going to adopt this little beautiful boy, this beautiful girl, or not? We had to make that choice. So we are the initiator in that case. And then our children were the adoptee. Now, I just displayed to you how God has always been initiating a relationship with us. It was God who put on flesh and came into the earth as, as Jesus. Come on. He initiated us. He's always been in We are the adoptee. He is the initiator. Okay? Now, whew. so I'm on tour. Actually, it's when we were rolling with Sean. We were in some nasty up hotel. We were just a bunch of guys in a minivan. <laughs> and we were, had been going to school to adopt. And I'm listening to this song in Portuguese. Um, actually, I, we just released it on YouTube. If you, if you go to our YouTube, you can hear all kinds of messages. You can hear all kinds of music in different languages. But there's a song called Filio de Davi. And it's about blind Bartimaeus powerful song. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like pacing in my hotel room. I'm praying in tongues. I'm like listening to that song. You know, I've been going to school to adopt. We've, we've learned all this new stuff. And the song is about blind Bartimaeus when he screams out, son of David, have mercy on me. He hears Jesus. He hears the sound. He responds, you know, and all the the guys were like, hush, hush. And then Jesus was like, no, bring him to me. So I'm listening to this song. I, I had been learning about adoption. And God says, Jason, stop. Look up the name Bartimaeus. No, let's just step into the text. We won't read it to save time. Here's blind Bartimaeus. He's blind. He's begging. And he's sitting. Okay? Blind. Where there's no vision, the people perish, that our eyes would open. He's begging, and he's sitting where, where there's no movement, there's no life. Come on. So God says, look up Bartimaeus' name. So I looked up Bartimaeus' name. Bartimaeus actually translates noble son. So God said, Jason... I've called my church to be noble sons and daughters, but they're blind, begging, and sitting. They're living as orphans. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This, this is where it all started. I'm like, wow. Blind, like I said, where there's no vision, the people perish. Begging. Here he is, called to be a noble son, but he's living as a beggar. Unfortunately, this, this is a picture of the church. I mean, look at the prodigal son. Look at the other son. The prodigal son goes to the father and says, give me what's mine. In other words, he's saying, you know, for him to give, get his inheritance, then his father should have had to, would have had to have been dead. You understand this. So for him to go to his father and say, give me my inheritance, he's saying, you're dead to me. Just give me what's mine. Well, we have many conferences about that. Come and get yours. Come get your miracle. 
Let's do the signs and wonders. Come get this stuff. You know, it's like we want the inheritance without the intimacy, and we all know what that's called. That's an orphan spirit. I mean, there's many forms of orphan spirit. Then there's the other son who was actually living in the house, but he wasn't accessing what the father had for him. He got mad when, when the father made the pig for the other son, and, and he looked at him. He said, son, I mean, you're in my house. Everything I have is yours. That's an orphan spirit. I mean, it's like everywhere you turn, friends. But I love the kindness of Jesus, yeah? Love the kindness of Jesus. Jesus said, bring him to me. And this is important. It says, throwing aside his cloak. That's a very important statement, my friends. A blind man, a beggar, would wear a coat in those days to let everybody know, I'm blind and I'm a beggar. Give me money. Give me food. It was basically their identity. It was their veil. Come on, somebody. He was wearing his identity. For him to throw that off, he left himself vulnerable. I mean, how is he going to go get it back? What if he didn't get healed? But he wasn't worried about that. He knew he'd be healed. You know, when he started hearing Jesus come, all of a sudden, something about that coat just didn't feel right. You know, it's like, oh, no, this never really fit me anyways. And, you know, I'm just, no, no, I just, you know, I've heard the stories. No, no, I, he threw it off, my friends. And he came to Jesus, and he was healed. Creation's groaning that the sons of God would be unveiled. Let's, let's turn. Last scripture. You guys getting anything out of this? We, we doing okay here? 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. Once again, we won't read the whole thing for the sake of time. But here is, ah, I just love this. This scripture, here we have David sitting on his throne, and he asks a question that I think is absolutely fantastic. Exact language. You're going to love this. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Here's David on his throne in the throne room, and he asks a question. Well, someone said, well, there's Mephibosheth, you know, Jonathan's son. He lives in Lodabar. Now, what you need to understand is that David and Jonathan were best friends. They loved each other as their own soul. But it's never a good day when your best friend's dad wants you dead, you know. So there was this war, and David, they're chasing David, and they're fighting David, and King Saul's on the throne, his son Jonathan, and Jonathan and David go into a covenant. It's absolutely stunning. Like they gave each other their coats, their belts, it's like... 
my life is yours, your life is mine, my army is yours, my finance. They made this covenant, you know. And for whatever reason, when they were at war, Saul was killed, Jonathan was killed, and for whatever reason, the person that was left to watch Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, stay with me, dropped him, and he was left paralyzed. Now, Mephibosheth obviously didn't know that David and Jonathan had a covenant because all of Mephibosheth's life, he was told, if David finds you, he's going to kill you. He had a perverted lens of the relationship. So when he thought of King David, he thought, he's going to kill me. Well, which is culturally, that was what would happen. But the difference is, is there was a covenant. See, he, there was a covenant, see? <clears throat> and also, Jonathan was the firstborn and gave his birthright to David. Come on, somebody. That's just another little nugget there, honestly. <laughs> so, y'all tracking with me? So, David says, Go get Mephibosheth. Now, what you need to understand is Lodabar means wilderness. But when you look into the etymology of the word, it's Lodabar. Lo means no person, place, or thing. Nothing. Well, sorry. Lo means nothing. Dabar means person, place, or thing. It's like he's nothing, no person, no place, no thing. He has no identity. He's paralyzed. He's living in fear. And all the while, he had a covenant. So King David sends Mephibosheth, I mean, sends um, his servant to get Mephibosheth, yeah? Imagine when Mephibosheth heard the king's horses coming. Imagine everyone's, you know, in Lodabar is like, the king is coming, the king is coming. And they come up. They say, the King David has beckoned you. So they bring Mephibosheth to the throne room. Just like now, we're in the throne room right now. I'm about, to, I'm about to bring this together. King David looks at Mephibosheth and says, I'm going to give you back basically your birthright. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to give you back everything that was taken from you. Yours. Like I've spent the last hour and a half telling you, my friends, this is available. This is what's going to change the world. This can be yours. You can have this freedom. You can have this life. You have a covenant. But here's what happens. Mephibosheth, word for word, looks at the king and says, what do you have to do with a dead dog like me? He couldn't receive the promise because of his perverted view. Mm. 
Instead of God conscious, self conscious. We can't see the fig leaf, the blind man's coat, the veil, what, what, whatever. We all have them. I get rid of one or two every year. <laughs> my Lord Jesus, if you've lived my life the past four or five years, <laughs> we go from glory to glory. Every year, glory to glory. Every season, excuse me. Glory to glory. Glory. To, how? Because we get another facet of the personality of Jesus. I love that it says, I want to show. <laughs> he said, is there anyone that I can show kindness to? Oh, he's saying it right now. He's like, is there anyone at Rock City Church this morning that I can show kindness to? We're in the throne room. King's on the throne, my friends. Here's where we go. I am Mephibosheth, my friends. <laughs> Maybe you are too. When I was nine years old, my mom had a car accident. My mom is literally paralyzed from her neck down. She has a little movement of her arms but her hands are like this. I was nine years old. The night before my mom's accident, my stepfather, I was sitting at a table eating, and for some reason, I held my fork like this instead of like this. So like, just to give you an idea of what I walked through, he just took my hand. He hated me. I don't know why, but he did. And he squeezed my hand until that fork cut inside of my skin and my hand started bleeding all over the table. Not too long after that, the same night, I'm standing in the kitchen and he kicks me in my stomach. All of my breath leaves my body. I fall on the floor and I'm, I'm looking at this man who's supposed to be my father. I never knew my real father. I found him in my 20s. And unfortunately, he basically didn't want to, just nothing came of it, let's say it that way, yeah. But, my, um, my stepfather, man. So my mom got home, man. I mean, before her accident, she, like, went toe-to-toe, -to -toe, you know, like, no, you're not going to treat my son like this. They fought all night. Next morning, I'm watching the Jackson 5 cartoon. <laughs> you, you young people don't even know about that now. <laughs> A, B, C, easy as one, two, three. We need a little comedy break there, so, you know. This man named Sweet Roll, he was the town drunk, knocked on my door and said, your mom was in an accident. And everything changed then. Because now my mom's paralyzed. So I had to grow up really quick, you know, maybe like a lot of you guys. Like I, I did all the cooking. I did all the cleaning. I did my mom's hair. I did my mom's makeup. I'm pretty good. Maybe we could do a class next time I come. You know. I'm actually pretty good. You know, I can. You know. I fed my mom, washed her hair. We still take care of my mom. That's why I worship like I do, because I know where I came from. I know what I've been rescued from. It's not a game, man. It's not just songs. It's like, pour my gut out. 
I lived in fear, literally. I, I was scared to be in the same room with the man because it got worse. I mean, black eyes. He would put bullet in the gun and play Russian roulette, was going to murder me and my family, was going to pull a knife to my throat. I went to school with scratches up and down my neck. It messed me up, man. Gina's a powerful woman because she's put up with me getting rid of veils and walking out my story because it messed me up. I am the fitness chef, man. So then I got saved. This beautiful Baptist church started taking me to church camp and I was working. I mean, I'm a kid, right? But I was actually working and making money to pay for my mom's medicine. And um, this Baptist church found me, man. And kind of took me in. Even paid for me to to go to prom and stuff like that. You know, stuff I would have never gotten to do. Our first date was a prom. Well, then I met this charismatic chick. (laughs) Then I started writing. I went to this church camp, and I started writing songs. And my stepdad, you know, probably because I brought the presence of God into the home. But then he really detested me. But he he would look at me, bro. You know, and to some people, this may not be a big deal. But to me, it was, I mean, it was like a cut in my, he said, your music is trash. You'll never be anything. He hated, and I, I and I, I would go play a concert, man. I was, I was like, mm-mm. But he, every time I'd get home, he hated that I was writing music. He hated that I, now, our music's all over the world. Come on, somebody, yeah. But uh, he actually, my, I actually heard this. He watches the YouTubes and swears that I'm lip syncing. <laughs> Because he just, he still just can't believe that I'm doing what I'm doing. And I haven't stopped. Started my first band in her front yard 30 years ago, and I'm still rolling. Come on. But, so I started traveling, started doing ministry, but I'm a wreck inside. I love Jesus. I mean, I love Jesus with every fiber of my being. I sing my heart out. And I'm not a man pleaser. I've never been that. But there was this thing in me that I always wanted to fix things or take care of people or I always wanted to make sure everything was all right. It was just this thing because if I did things wrong when I was growing up, I would get beaten. I mean, not even a second thought. It'd be like, pow, 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 you know. And So I remember one time, this guy wanted to help us, and I'm, I'm making myself really vulnerable here because I really want to see you break through, okay? And this guy was going to do something for our, our ministry, and he was a really kind man, and I'll never forget I was on the phone with him, and he just got angry and went off on me. And the next week, I was doing a conference in Brazil with 10,000 people. It hurt me so bad, I ran... 30-something-year-old man at the time, I ran to my bedroom and wept on my bed. And I was like, and God was like, Jason, 
you got to get healed from this. How are you going to stand in front of 10,000 people if this one man affects you like this? You know? Well, long story short, I'll never forget, I was in Brazil. I had lost my voice because I had done so many meetings and I was tired, but I was hungry. So I still went to the meeting on a cement floor. Worship was beautiful. And I'm on the ground and I'm just crying my eyes out. I'm missing Regina. I'm missing the kids. You know, you got to understand, I'm already traveling the world, but I am a mess. Just be real. And God said, Jason, I've called you to father a generation, and you're not doing it. In his kindness, he was ready to call me out. You know what I mean? He's like, come on. And I'm like, all of a sudden I realized, you know, kind of like Mephibosheth, he didn't know what was his. So then I started thinking, well, I don't even know how to father. (laughs) I've never had one. And I don't even know how to be a son Because basically, you know, basically for me, you know, I took care of my mom, and I had no stepfather. I was an orphan. Really, I was. And what happened? One open heaven moment will open a doorway to a new season for you to walk out. Right at that moment, this huge Brazilian pastor comes up to me. Picks me up off the floor. He doesn't speak any English. And he goes, Jason, I love you. I had never felt that from a father in my entire life. All of a sudden, my lens came off. And I'm like, whoa. That started a journey that, I mean, honestly, I'm still walking out. Till today, every season, you know, going glory to glory. But man, did a lot of healing in my heart. Me, imagine my mom. My stepdad was horrific to her. He would leave her on in bed on purpose. You know, when he was bathing her, he would tell her, "You stink. You make me sick." I mean, she was so badly abused. One day, Regina and I rescued her. We moved her out. It got that bad. Then one day she's in the hospital dying. (laughs) So me and Regina run to the hospital. You know, up until this point, we rescued her, but she would still sleep in the dark. She would stay in bed for days. She didn't want the light on. She would say, literally what, and I'm not exaggerating, okay? She would say that. I'm just an animal. You take me out and feed me and put me back in my cage. That was her reality, you know? That was her lens. That was what she was walking through. It's like, you know, if you take a pet and you, you know, if, if you take an elephant and you pin it to a little stake in the ground, you can take the stake up and the elephant's going to stay there because it develops a mindset. That's what she was living. Until one encounter with Jesus. So we run to this hospital room. We walk in the room. The atmosphere is so thick, you're like... And she goes, Jason, 
he walked in here. He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. He began to describe her eyes, his eyes, Jesus' eyes to us. And, you know, you know how some people say they've seen Jesus, and you're like, cool, man. But then somebody's, you know, someone that really had an encounter, you're like, that's how it was. My paralyzed mom went from staying six, seven days in the darkness, not eating. She gets home, paralyzed from her neck down, my friends, starts her own Bible study, begins feeding her neighbors, takes herself to the grocery store, goes to the movies, gets in her little electric wheelchair. Sometimes we go to see her, you know, thinking she's going to be home because she's paralyzed. Oh, no, because she got something to do, you know. No, I... I had to go to the I had to go to the store because I had to get my medicine. And we're like, and while I was there, I wanted to get my my hair done and my nails done. And we're like, okay, all right. <laughs> but here she is paralyzed, but she's more alive than some people that I know who have full capacity of their body. By the spirit of adoption. He snatches you out of hell. I love that promise. I sang it. You know, if I'm sore on the wings of the if I make my bed in hell, even there you are. Now, that's too unfathomable for people to understand. But you need to understand no matter where you're at in your life, he's after you. It's his relentless kindness, my friends. All right. So we're going to close now. So we... Went to a courtroom just like this to adopt our son. And what I mean just like this is we're in the throne room right now. We walked into this throne room and there was a judge sitting on his throne. And we stood before the throne, stood before the judge, just like David and Mephibosheth here. And that judge, you need to hear me, spoke words. Okay, when we walked in that room, Josiah was not my son. He belonged to another family. By the words of authority, by the spoken decree of a king of the land, it shifted and changed everything about my family. My son's been with me all over the world, Africa, Brazil, Europe. Nobody can take him because he belongs to me. I'm going to read this to you. This is what he read. How many of you would like to be adopted this morning? How many of you would like to be adopted this morning? I know it's late. So I'm going to read this to you. I want you to hear this with your spirit. This is going to blow your mind. The judge didn't know what to do with us because we were having church. He read this document, and all of our people started shouting and, you know, everything, manifesting, whatever. <laughs> Ordered and adjudged as follows. The minor child is hereby declared to be the legal child of petitioners, who's the petitioner? In this case, it's us, but spiritually speaking, who is it? God. 
Jason Lee Jones and Regina Jones, his wife, and is hereby given the name. Oh, yeah. We changed his name. It's hereby given the name Josiah Blue Jones, which name he shall hereafter be known. No, 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 see, because here, here's the thing. Yeah, see, Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. What's your new name this morning? What name did you come in here with? What identity? What fig leaf? What veil? Only you. Hey, only you know. Mine, I have so many. Lord Jesus of fire. I ain't got no time for that. I have so many. Rejected, abused, molested. Let's be real. I had so many. And God, in his kindness, in his kindness, he's so incredibly kind. He's saying, who can I show kindness to this morning? I just want to show some kindness. He's so much more kind than we've given him credit for, you know. I feel his kindness so strong. What's your new name? Because when he adopts you and your eyes open, you step into that realm. You see things so much more clearly, my friends. Okay. All legal relationships between the adoptee and his birth parents and any blood relatives of the birth parents are terminated by this adoption, which is final and binding. Dale's meal. Meal, Dale's, Dale's meal. My God. We'll say it in three languages. And Shakababa. There you go. Here's one for you. All relationships between you and your old nature and any sins of your past, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Come on, somebody. God doesn't work in behavior modification. That's not going to fix you. The only thing he could do with your old nature was kill it. It's dead. And we don't play around in graveyards. That's how powerful this is, my friends. Hey, this adoption decree creates a relationship between the adoptee and the petitioners and all relatives. If the petitioner would have been a legitimate blood descendant, Come on, somebody. The adoptee shall be the legal heir of the petitioner. Can you imagine this courtroom right now? 
Woo, come on, preach it. Yeah, shaka. You know, and the judge is like, okay. The adoptee shall be a legal heir, the petitioner entitled to all rights and privileges thereof, and the petitioner shall hereafter assume legal responsibilities of the parent-child relationship. Come on with it. And then it says this. I'll let you see it so no one, this is the document, done and ordered in the chambers. Can you get any more prophetic? Come on, like, like serious. Okay. Today is your adoption day. <laughs> 